I, I felt strongly to preach this to you today. And, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, I don't believe you're ever going to hear a more strong message on Jesus being a priority or the value and the importance of water baptism. And I know right off the bat, some of you are going to tune me out because you're going to say, well, I was baptized as a kid. I've been baptized in water as an adult. I want you to listen with fresh ears the power behind water baptism as if you've never heard it before. I want you to act as if you've never, you don't know what water baptism is. You've never heard it. And I want you just to listen. It's going to be the last half of the message. We're going to preach about Jesus first. But I want you to tune in with me. Because this is, a, I believe, a life-changing message. I really do. And so I want you to be blessed by it. Don't forget version. The notes are done and they're ready for you. All you have to do is find them. You can plug them in. You can take notes, save them, and go through it later. All right. John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14 says, Very, verily, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You, can, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Right there he is telling us very clearly, if Jesus is our number one priority and we're doing things, living our life for him, we can ask anything according to the word of God. He's going to do it. That's a promise in the word. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for your word. I thank you for what you're about to reveal to us. I pray God give us fresh ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Give us fresh eyes to see your truths in your word. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would speak to us today and that you would anoint me to speak forth your word, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Hold your Bibles up in the air and let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen. Come on, high five two or three people as you're being seated. I love this. Some of you did it without me saying it. When Holly and I were youth pastors... Just starting off in ministry, we had no money whatsoever. And the car battery on our little Honda Civic, we had one car, a little hatchback Honda Civic that I had when I, from when I was 16 years old, 17 years old. And we got married, and we used to have to, you know, pull the front, it was one door, two doors, I mean. It was one four, and you'd have to pull the seat forward to get to Caitlin in the car seat, and it was just, a, but that's all we had. And the battery went out, and we could not afford to buy a battery. So I decided it was stick shift. I know they don't even sell cars that are stick shift anymore, but that's how I learned to drive. How many have learned how to drive a stick shift before? And I would park the car on a slight incline so that I could throw it in neutral, let it roll down, pop the clutch, in second gear, what would happen? It would start. I see some of you had battery problems before too. <laughs> and we did that for several months, and finally my father-in-law was riding me today. He said, what are you doing? I said, well, you know, it's battery's dead, so I have to find an inclined parking spot so I can pop the clutch and get going. So he took me to the store and bought me a battery. But the reason that the car was perfectly fine, it just couldn't run. It couldn't run because it didn't connect to the power source. Many of you have ever plugged your phone in at night and you 
thought it was plugged in and you wake up the next morning is dead. Maybe the, maybe the wall charger wasn't in all the way or maybe the part that goes into the phone wasn't all the way connected and you wake up the next morning, your phone is dead. You're not in a situation to be able to charge it. You, don't, you can't charge it mobily and guess what? So you're without a phone for that day. Maybe you're missing important phone calls. Maybe there's important calendar alerts that are going to go off that you're going to miss or important texts. And it just throws you off. How many has ever been there before? The phone works. It just wasn't connected to the power source. You know, when we don't connect to Jesus Christ every single day of our life, we are not connecting to a power source. And we are missing out on His love. We are missing out on His power. We are missing out on His peace. We are missing out on His kindness. We are missing out on the things that God has in store for us when we don't connect to the power source. Somebody say it's time to connect. It causes you to have to walk through the day with little or no power, no victory, no power to fight off temptation, no fresh word to encourage you and give you life, no help. And if you do that long enough, it'll leave you singing all by myself. Don't want to be all by myself anymore. You like my Celine Dion rendition, don't you? Amen. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. I got a standing ovation back there. That's what it'll leave us by. And your life, your day without connecting to Christ will look a lot like my singing. Bad. How many has tried to go through the day without connecting to Christ? And you wonder why you're drowning in stress and anxiety and worry. And you feel like you're hopeless and nothing's going to work out. You have to ask yourself, did I plug into my power source and did I connect with Jesus Christ? Somebody say amen. How do you remain in this current world that we walk in and still walk in the power of God? With all the anxieties, with all the stress, with all the stuff that's going on in society. And if you watch the news, you won't have to watch it long before you feel stressed out. How long, how, what do you do to combat that? What, with the way the world is, how do we walk in the power of God? How do, we, how do we as a church live in the world but yet maintain our walk with Christ and the power of God? Well, there's two points today. And the first one is this. Decide to make Jesus your number one priority. Now, I know many of you in church are going to say, well, that's a foregone conclusion. He is my number one priority. But I have to ask you, is he really? In Acts chapter 1, verse 12 through 14, the church of Jesus Christ was birthed in a 10-day prayer meeting. Everybody say prayer. Acts 2, 46 through 47 says this. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Everybody say added. How does the church grow? The Lord adds. How does the church grow? The Lord adds. Not a trick question. Let's try it one more time. How does the church grow? The Lord adds. Listen, when Jesus is first in the church, he adds. When Jesus is first in your life, he adds. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 7 says, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. Paul's writing here. 
Paul planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Listen, evangelism is a supernatural act of God working, of us working with God. So, first, uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 38 says this, Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That's something we should be praying every day because it's the one thing God specifically said for us to pray for. Not the only thing, but one of the few. The Lord will not give us a harvest when he is not first. So Revelation 2, 1 through 5 says this, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and that you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. So he's commending them. Verse 3 through 5, And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary, but I have this against you. This is not good when God says he has something against us. And he says, You have left your first love. Therefore, Remember from where you are fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. The church at Ephesus was dutiful, but it was distracted. And I want you to, I want you to catch what he is saying very closely here. He's saying, look, you love church and you love ministry, but you've lost your love for me. You've gotten so consumed with doing the works of my, my works and doing stuff for me that you have forgotten your first love, which is me. And he says, listen, we think if we quit doing the works of God, we fall. If we sin, we fall. Right here in Revelation, Jesus says, you're doing all the right stuff, but you still have fallen because you have left your first love, and that's me. This is powerful stuff here. You've got to catch this. He said, if you don't repent, you're going to lose your lampstand. This is what he's telling the church at Ephesus. If there's no lampstand and no light, guess what? People can't find you. When you're passionate about Jesus, watch this. You have supernatural advertisement. People will just find our church. People will just locate us in grocery stores. People will find us and say, I don't know why I'm talking to you, but this, that, and the other. And you have an opportunity to minister to them. My question to you today is, and I think God's question is, we say we're Christians, and we are. We've been saved by the blood of Jesus. But when we examine ourselves as we're fasting and praying, we must ask ourselves, is Jesus really, truly number one? He will not assist us in growing and with the harvest if he is not first. Why? Because lukewarm Christians are a bad example to the world. 20% of churches are growing. 80% are plateaued or not growing. So it's out of passion within a marriage that children are birthed. And it's the same way with Jesus. Jesus sometimes becomes a means to an end. Sort of like a husband who serves the wife who's overcome with the duties of children. She begins to use the husband as a means to an end. In the same way, if we're not careful, we'll use Jesus as a means to an end. You've got to catch this now. Our relationship then with Jesus becomes a transaction and not intimacy. Jesus wants us to be intimate with him first and foremost. It is not about what we can do for him. It is not about rules and regulation. It is about a relationship with him. Everybody say a relationship. So what do we do? Give me a bigger house, more kids. Bigger house, more kids. 
The dutiful distract, but distracted church is kind of like the wife and hair curlers, hadn't shaved her legs in three weeks, hadn't bathed in two or three days, still in her pajamas, hollering, bigger house, more kids, bigger house, more kids. And you know what the church of Jesus Christ is sounding a lot like? That woman, bigger house, more kids, tired of renting at the theater, want a house, more kids. Got to have more souls. Got to have more people. And while those things are great, Jesus is saying, whoa, wait, wait a minute. I'm glad you have a heart to win souls. I'm glad you have a heart to have a home base that you can work out of. But I must be first. Somebody shout amen. Is this all right today? I wonder if that is what Jesus says. And I wonder if personally that's what our prayers are. In a demanding tone, here's what your word says. Bigger house. More stuff. I want more stuff. Better job. Better car. Bigger house. And Jesus is saying, whoa. How about just a relationship between you and me? Are you using Jesus as a means to an end? Do you get out your genie bottle? Rub it. And say, oh, I need that new 2020 pickup truck. I need that promotion at work. I need, I need, I need. I want, I want, I want. And then we say our prayers and we put it back on the shelf. And then what happens? We go back the next day and we say, I need, I need, I need. And we put them back on the shelf. And we do it over and over and over. Some people's prayers is like, God, I'll serve you if. I'll pray and worship you if. I want, I want, I want. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, I want, I want, I want. It's like a three-year-old at Walmart. Who throws themselves in the floor and beats the floor because they want the toy. I think I've shared it with you before. But I've been to Walmart before when one kid was doing that. And the grandma said no. And she picked him up and she's trying to talk to him. He just slapped her in the face. And I thought, I got a belt. Do you need some assistance? You know, and this was in Georgia, not Ohio. You can do little things different in Georgia than you can in Ohio. Let me just tell you right now. And I thought... And, and she just, oh, no, don't do that. And the mom comes over and says, don't hit Granny. And he's trying to hit her. And I'm thinking, is he? He's still alive. <laughs> they haven't killed this kid yet. Sometimes we stand there and we say, give me the job. Give me the job. Give me the job. And we call pastor on the phone and say, pray, pray. I got to have the job. I got to have the job. Or we can, give me the car. Give me the car. Give me the car. Give me the car. I want, I want, I want. Give me, lend me. Can you spare? I ain't got no underwear. That's exactly what we do. And if God doesn't give us what we want immediately, then all of a sudden we'll start repelling from church. Well, God didn't answer my prayer, so why would I bother going to church? God ain't hearing what I'm having to say. I rubbed my genie. I did what I needed to do. But he's not hearing what I'm having to say, so I'm not going to read my Bible today. I don't really want to hear what he has to say. I don't really want to pray. I really don't want to get into his presence. Speak to the hand because I'm not listening. And while we may not say those things to God, do our actions show them that? So God stands up in heaven and God says, 
Well, so you're only in it for what you can get out of it? And not for the fact that we're having a relationship? Is this okay today? God, I, I prayed, I prayed, I didn't get the job. Perhaps there's a better job out there. Perhaps the reason you didn't get the job is he knows the manager would go crazy three weeks from now and fire you for no reason. Perhaps it's got nothing to do with the job, but God knows if he opens that door, you're going to meet little Sally Sue at the coffee pot and in six months wind up committing adultery on your husband or your wife. And maybe God is saying, that job is not good for you because I know the dangers ahead. This is a better situation for you. Can we trust God enough in our relationship that when God says no, we understand and we still love him? Is this okay today? Maybe some Christians are praying and fasting as a means to an end. Well, I'm going to fast and pray to get what I want. Listen, the priority of fasting and praying is to get into his presence and to hear what he has to say. We're not on a hunger strike waiting, to, demanding that our needs be met. And if it doesn't, we're just going to go on a hunger strike and kill ourselves. That's not what this is about. How many of you have children that are either away from the home or maybe they've been in college? How many of you would like to hear them just call every now and then? Anybody? Anybody? Is anybody going to even look at me today? You ought to see what I see. How many of you would like it if the only time you ever heard from your kids or grandkids is when they wanted something or needed something? You know, you look on the caller ID and the first thing pops in your mind was what's wrong and what do they want? Because they ain't called you in a year just to say hi. How many would like that? Anybody? How many of you would like it if your children or grandchildren just called to say, hello, how you doing? Amen. Uh, Amen. I think that was a signal for some of the family over there. <laughs> How many of you remember? I remember distinctly all three of my kids at different times did this. When they were small, maybe I was sitting watching TV, and they would, whatever they are playing with, whatever they had, they'd just jump up in my lap, and they would continue doing what they were doing, but they would sit in my lap. How many knows what I'm talking about? And sometimes they'd say, hey, Dad, let me, let me show you this, Daddy. And they got some pretty, you know, they're coloring or they're doing something. And they're all, they never asked me for anything. They just wanted to be in my lap. Or, were those not the best times ever? Were those not the most precious time? I mean, it didn't matter how bad I had to get up and go to the bathroom. I was going to sit there as long as they could. I, I would hold it till my back teeth were floating. Because my kids just wanted to sit in my lap and just be with me. How many likes that? Yeah. Our, our, one of our daughters, which one was it? Caitlin? I can't remember if it was Caitlin or Haley. They would come up to us, you know, the little bitty things, and walk up, the little diaper sagging where it's full, and they'd say, hold you. What they really want, they want me to hold them. But they were going to say, hold me, right? Hold you, hold you. So who can resist that? You pick them up. You have a great time. I have a question for you. When's the last time you went in the prayer closet and said, you know what? I don't want anything from you. I just want to sit in your lap. When was the last time you picked up the word and just said, God, just talk to me? When was the last time you got in the car on your way to work and you said, Jesus, I'd like for you just to sit in the seat and just ride with me to work? You know, the precious times that I had when my kids would climb up in my lap, sometimes there were really no words. They would just come get in my lap and sit there. 
Were those not precious times? When's the last time you've gone in the prayer closet and just quieted your mind and just said, Lord, I just want to be in your presence. If you don't talk and I don't talk, that's okay as long as we're together. How many of you know you can, you can go down the road and you can ride down the road in your vehicle and if you're on a long trip, you and your spouse, you don't even have to talk for two hours. Some, you know, you're, just, you're, just, you're comfortable in a close proximity without having to talk. How many of you ever been in a situation where you go out to eat with somebody new and you're trying to find something to say? You ever been there before? You're trying to find, how am I going to? But then you're, when you're with someone who you're very close to, you can ride two hours down the road and not say a word. Anybody ever experienced that before? You know, when are we going to get to the place in, in the kingdom of God where we can be in the presence of Jesus and not feel like we have to say something, ask for something, or do something? How many of you would like it if your children or grandchildren, instead of just wanting something from you, made you the priority? So I have quite a question for you today. Is Jesus your number one priority? Do you want to stay connected to Christ? Is he really first? See, part of the occupational hazard of serving in ministry is losing your relationship with Jesus. It's so easy to become about the other stuff, the bigger house and the more kids, that you lose sight of, wait a minute, it's about Jesus. Where is my relationship with him? To start your day with unbroken intimacy with Jesus and pray throughout the day is a beautiful day in the kingdom of God. Somebody say hallelujah. Give him the first of the day. Let him be first. Listen, no amount of work can replace a missing lampstand. No matter how hard we work as a church, if it's in the dark, nobody can find us. The way we keep our lampstand bright for this community is Jesus is first. I have a question. Can he look down at Bridge of Hope Church like he did Ephesus and say, you're doing all the right stuff, but I'm no longer the priority. And you can send all the mailers out you want, knock on all the doors you want, but until I'm really first, you're doing it in the dark and people can't find you. But as soon as I am first and I am number one always in all of your hearts and you're number one in this church, I will draw people. Because when Jesus is lifted up, he will draw all men nigh unto himself. Somebody shout amen. amen. The church without Jesus being the number one priority is like a dog with a pork chop around his neck begging to be played with. I wonder, I wonder. Listen, the community isn't interested because they're not interested in church. They need Jesus. And as long as we give them Jesus, he's going to draw people. Somebody shout amen. Is this okay? Y'all are looking at me today like I'm preaching the Quran. I promise it's the Bible. What you are trying to minister out of an empty, when you are trying to minister out of an empty well without Jesus being first, it will not work. Is Jesus first in your personal life? Is he first in our church? Is he first in us when we greet at the door? Is he first in us when we're down in kids' church working? Is he first in us when we're leading worship? Is he first in our lives? There's an alarming number of pastors who are resigning churches. They're actually renouncing their faith and, they, and they're walking away altogether. It's because they never loved Jesus to begin with. Do you know how many senior pastors will resign their churches, give up their pulpits, and never return to the ministry again every month. Ready for this? 1,600. 
1,600 pastors in America will resign and walk away from their pulpits and the ministry altogether every single month. And the reason is because it's not about Jesus. They have lost their first love, and it has become about what we can manufacture. It's coming about filling seats with people in them. And listen, the Mormon church is a growing church right now. I wouldn't exactly tell you they're going to help you get to heaven, but they can attract a crowd. It's not about attracting a crowd. It's about telling people Jesus has got to be the priority in our lives. Period. Have you left your first love? Do you spend time with Jesus on a regular basis? Was there a time in your life when you felt more closer to Jesus than you do now? What a great time while we're fasting and praying to do that. How else can we make a decision for Christ? Are you ready for this? Decide to be water baptized. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, listen closely for the next few minutes. Well, water baptism, what is water baptism and why is it important? Well, it's an important step that shows others that you've personally accepted Jesus Christ. It, 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 it indicates and it identifies with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And three major things happen. You, it shows to everybody you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're beginning a changed life in Christ, and you're part of a new family. So what does the Bible say about water baptism? Water baptism is symbolic of the washing away of our sins. Acts twenty two sixteen. Watch this. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. We know that the blood of Jesus washes our sins away. And what, what water baptism does, it's an outward symbol of an inward work that has already happened. It is symbolic of what has already taken place in us. Number two, water baptism is following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Matthew 3, 16, when he had been, Jesus, been baptized. Baptized literally means full immersion, to be completely under the water, fully wet. Watch this. Jesus came up immediately from the water. He was down all the way under the water. He came up. Behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. So Jesus goes down under the water and comes up. I have a question, just like last week. If Jesus could do and accomplish everything he came on earth to do without fasting, then why did he fast? In the same token, if Jesus thought it was necessary even to rebuke John the Baptist and tell him this must be done, and he felt the need to be baptized in water, how much more do we need to be baptized in water? The Bible says when he did, he came up, the Spirit of God came down upon him, and the heavens opened before him. It would be like the manager over here at Dillard's or one of these stores across the street at the mall telling you, Brian Whitaker, I'm going to open the store early for you from 7.30 to 8, it's open. Anything you can grab, whatever you can haul out of that store in 30 minutes, it's yours. Whatever we have belongs to you. When the Bible says the heavens were open, what happens is when we get baptized in water, we come up out of that water, the heavens are open to us, spiritually speaking. That means every gift and every promise. That means all that heaven has for us is now open to us. Healing and peace and joy and salvation for our families. Man, I'm preaching to somebody. That means when everything gets open. Notice the heavens were not opened over him until he was baptized in water. 
Water baptism is following in his footsteps. Also, it is a commandment from God, folks. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, Lord, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Did you know it's a commandment, not a suggestion? I hear people say, well, I don't know if I want to be baptized in water. We don't have a choice. If we call on the name of Jesus, it's a commandment from God. Everybody say commandment. Water baptism is also a public confession of your faith. Romans 10, 9 through 10, that if you confess with your mouth, that's what you do at water baptism. The Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. When we get baptized in water, we're confessing to everybody, I now belong to Jesus. It's no different than if you were to get married. What are you professing? I am yours and you are mine from now on. Everybody's welcome to come. And you'll testify that we have given our lives to each other. That's what public water baptism does. It says, I am now married to Jesus Christ. I am now the bride of Christ. One little boy had this girl that they were boyfriend and girlfriend privately. But she didn't want him to tell anybody. And finally he said, hey, look, if you don't want to tell anybody we're together publicly, then we're out altogether. And I wonder if Jesus is saying, you know what, I'm tired of your closet marriage. It's time we get up on the pulpit and the altar and we make this thing public. Is this okay today? Water baptism is symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Romans 6, 3 through 5. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we should walk in the newness of the life. Here's the problem in the church. We have too many who have not been baptized into his death and have not been buried with him. If you don't align with his death and be buried with him in his, in his death, so to speak, then you can't be raised to life with him and you can't have his life. You, if you don't align with, his, with him being dead and align with him being buried, then you can't align with him in life and be risen. Water baptism is spiritual. Listen, something supernatural happens when you go in the water and you come up. I don't know what it is. It's not the water, but it's something about obedience to his word that happens and occurs in a life of a person that changes everything. It rocks your world. The church was birthed in a prayer meeting and baptism. Acts 2, 37 through 41. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles. So they're, they're convicted when they heard the word of God. Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to the number that day. He preaches a message, repent and be baptized. And 3,000 people are baptized in water on the spot. Listen, the early church was obsessed with baptisms. 
both water and the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to begin a series next week on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You don't want to miss it. I might preach for weeks on it. Hebrews 6, 1 through 2 says this. Therefore, having the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. There were six foundations of Christianity, and baptisms is one of them. And sometimes we act in the church as if it's a luxury item. Well, you know, I don't think I want that. It's not a buffet bar. I'll take the fried rice and I'll take the chicken, but, you know, you keep the egg roll. That's not how it works in the kingdom of God. Water baptism is the covenant seal of a new covenant. What is a covenant? A covenant was something you entered into with the shedding of blood. And it was only broken by blood. That's why marriage is not a commitment. Listen very closely. Marriage is not a commitment because a commitment is only, lasts only as long as the committer's willingness to keep the commitment. It's not a contract. That's a business deal. It is a covenant that's supposed to be only broken by blood. Now, I'm going to say, say something here. I'm going to shock you with some of these statements, so just hang with me. I'm not going to get perverted, but listen. Our sex organs are connected to our spirits. A piece of paper does not make you married. Sex does. That's why if you've not consummated the marriage, you can go to the judge and get an annulment. Because sex is what makes it the real deal. One reason you have sex is to remember your covenant, whether you feel like it or not. You seal the deal, listen, of marriage by having sex. You seal the deal with Jesus by being water baptized. I, I can't talk strongly to you enough about the importance of water baptism. I don't know if the early church would even consider you saved if you've not been water baptized. Now listen, I'm not preaching. Don't anybody leave. The pastor said if you ain't water baptized, you ain't saved. You get saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. But you can't find anybody save the thief on the cross that had the opportunity to be baptized in water that didn't get baptized in water in the New Testament. When they got saved, it was an automatic thing. I'm going to be baptized in water to let my public confession of faith be known. If you want to see what God intended for marriage, go back to the beginning, Genesis 2, and that'll teach you what marriage is supposed to be like. If you want to see what God intended for the church, go back to the beginning in Acts chapter 2, and you'll see what the church is supposed to act like. Somebody say amen. amen. What if you can be water baptized, but you won't? Well, the Great Commission is not to make Christians, it's to make disciples. Listen, I've never met a person who did anything worthwhile for Jesus that wasn't baptized in water. Discount Christianity is everywhere. If you can't get wet for Jesus, you won't get do much else for him. Listen to this, Colossians 2, 11 through 12. Watch this. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. So he's talking about the value of circumcision in that covenant. In the Old Testament, leave this up. He told Abraham and all his descendants that the, the, that the males were to get the foreskin of their penis cut off. And that was a sign that they had a covenant with God. That was their end of the deal. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism. Listen, you've got to hear what I'm saying here. In which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who, God ra who raised him from the dead. Leave this up for just a moment there. Notice here what Jesus says. He said your flesh gets cut off 
when it's circumcised with Christ, and how does that happen when you get baptized in water? There were two reasons for circumcision. And again, I'm not trying to get perverted. I'm trying to teach a lesson. Is it okay? Didn't God create sex? Did he not create the male and the female bodies? Then why does the church not talk about it? Because the world is good at putting their ideas in our kids. Two reasons for circumcision. Foreskin on a boy's penis is extra skin and it's less clean. It's a hygiene issue. And it's also the most sensitive part on a boy's body. So watch this. When you get water baptized, Christ removes the unclean part of your flesh and makes you sensitive to hear his voice. The same thing that happens for a boy on day eight of circumcision, or now, it used to be day eight, now it's at the hospital when they're born. The same thing that happens for a boy then happens to our spirit, man, when we're baptized in water. Here's the problem. When we don't get baptized in water, then what happens that the flesh not being cut off and we can't hear from God? I'm telling you, this is the word of God, amen? When a person is not baptized in water, they remain an adolescent because they haven't had their flesh cut away. And Jesus said in Colossians right there, he said the way you get circumcised and the way you get all that junk out of your life is to be baptized in water. Is that what the scripture says? When we get baptized in water, Jesus removes the unclean part. Look, water water baptism actually baptizes you into Christ. Oh, I want to see that in scripture. Glad you asked. Galatians 3, 26 through 27. So in Christ Jesus, everybody say in Christ Jesus. You are all children of God through faith. How are we, do we know that we're children of God through faith? For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. Water baptizing, baptism baptizes you into Christ. You come out of the water different. You don't come out the same way. Everything changes. I remember when Holly was baptized in water in the Jordan River. She said, ah, the first one took. I said, I'm th- we're in the second time we're in Israel. I said, look, this is the Jordan River. You need to be baptized. Well, fine, whatever. I go in the water. I come out. She'd come out of that water. If I wasn't holding her up, she'd drown. Spirit of God came on her. She, ah, and man, she was speaking in tongues. She lost all bodily function whatsoever. She couldn't hold herself up. I had to hold her up. She was just crying and hitting. You know what? Instead of me just explaining that, let me just show you what happened to Todd Daves when I baptized him in March in the Jordan River. Take a look at this. Yeah, 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 yeah
Jesus. I watched every single person have a reaction like that to some degree. I watched people weep. I watched people cry. I see Tracy over there. I, man, I, uh, Tom and Sandy in the back. Let, let me just tell you something. Steve and Pat Lorenz over here. When Steve and Pat, when I baptized them in water, they shut the whole Jordan River down. Everybody stopped what they were doing and just watched them cry. Big old burly 34-year-old lieutenant colonel just sitting there weeping and crying. Telling, telling Pat, we did it, baby, we did it. I'll never forget that in all the days of my life. Something happens when we obey God and we're baptized in water. It's a supernatural act. And the problem that we have in the church in America is pastors are trying to feed babies who haven't had their, cut, their flesh cut off and they hadn't been baptized into Jesus. And it's no wonder we can't make disciples. If we're not willing to be baptized for Jesus, again, we're not going to do much else for him. And listen, water baptism is the first step to say, hey, I belong to Christ. And listen, if you were raised Catholic or something like that, you were sprinkled as a baby, that don't count. You have to make that decision for yourself. If you are christened as a baby that doesn't count, you have to make that decision for yourself. Listen, I'm going to take it a step further. If you were baptized and you walked away from God and you came back to God and you repented and came back to Him, I strongly urge you to get baptized in water again. You have to understand, you have to accept Christ on your own. Our next water baptism is scheduled in two weeks. And I'm telling you, when Jimmy Evans preached on this at a pastor's conference, and he preached on water baptism, I went out that they had a scheduled time. This is at a pastor's convention. I watched hundreds, if not thousands, of preachers line up in the heat of the day in Texas to go outside in a parking lot and be baptized in water. I was baptized at eight, year old, eight years old, and I big time walked away from God. I felt the tug at my heart when I was a youth pastor, and I asked my pastor to baptize me. I was baptized again as a, as a youth pastor. And then my third time I got baptized in water was at the Jordan River as a pastor. There's something that happens, and I can testify to you that my life, if the musicians will come, my life has been totally different since I aligned with Christ's dead death and was buried with him. I can testify that there is something powerful about having the flesh cut out. I am more sensitive to hear the voice of God. I have aligned myself with Him. And I'm telling you, I'm urging you today. Would you, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm urging you today to be baptized in water. We're going to do it in two weeks. You can sign up at thebridgecency.com slash connect or the church center app. Say, well, Pastor, I was, I was baptized, you know, seven years ago. I'm, I, you know, I, I feel foolish to do it now, or I'm older now. I don't know. I, I feel, I feel silly even thinking about doing that. Listen, you, you, you do as the Lord leads you. If at any point you walked away from God, I encourage you to be. Listen. Some of the flesh problem you may be dealing with may simply be solved by being baptized in water. I don't know. It's, it's not the water. It's the supernatural act of obedience where you obey God's word that changes everything.